0: Let's fill the city with the songs of heaven Our joyful noise makes the darkness free And as we praise Him We establish a place for His glory Let's join the angels as we really come to worship Our lives abandoned to the Father's call oh, With a hunger to see Jesus I overall Cause our worship changes atmosphere. That's why we'll never stop praising. The songs of heaven Our joyful noise Makes the darkness free And as we praise Him We establish a place For His glory Let's join the angels As we really come to worship Our lives abandoned To the Father's call Oh, with a hunger To see Jesus lift High Changes atmosphere. That's why we'll never stop praising you. And if you turn my heart now i'll let you into my deepest part and as you change me from glory to glory i'll understand more of who you are i'll open up i'll open up my heart now i'll let you into my deepest part and as you change me from glory to glory i'll understand more of who you are and the more and the more i see you the more i grow to love you so many reasons to pour out my praise and as i worship the atmosphere changes as the king of heaven is in the space because i worship changes atmospheres that's why stop praising you and if you turn Cause you never hold back from me so we'll, so we'll never hold back from you Cause you never hold back from us So we'll never hold back from you Cause you never hold back from us
1: Isn't that the truth this morning? Man, yeah, come on! <laughs> <laughs> that the Lord never holds back from us. And as we're in this place today, just to, I would say welcome his presence, you know, wherever you are in your home, uh, welcome his presence, bring him in, bring him into your space, because he's so gracious. He so wants to say, open up your heart to me, give your heart to me, that I can actually come in and fill a space. And so we pray right now, Holy Spirit, would you come and move in our homes today? Would you come and move in our hearts today? Oh, how we invite you in. There's a a river flowing from heaven and it's available all the time, 24 seven. It's open. And so we come and drink of that river. Say, come Lord, flow let your presence flow in our hearts flow in our homes you know how much we need you i need you lord we need your presence so come flow among us move among us holy spirit so delight in you
2: Today's message I've entitled Together in 22, Together in 22, and over the next couple of weeks I want to share a couple of messages with you that I feel is like prophetic words that the Lord needs to speak to us so that we can orientate ourselves and be ready for what He has ahead for us in this year, because I believe it's not only just the change of a new year, but it's the beginning of a new season. Um, We've come out of the two years of, of just the great effect of, and uh, the heavy effect of COVID-19. And I think we're all looking forward to a year that be, things will be a bit different and we'll get back to some form of, of moving forward in life and, and not be so restricted. And uh, I think there's some things that the Lord is saying to us that needs to be like beacons that orientate us towards what is ahead. And therefore, I've, I've, I'm going to speak about Together in 2020. Two. And uh, the reason I, I gave it this title is uh, as I was praying and, and I just felt the Lord speak to me uh, for today's message about the concept of the, what struck me in 2020, uh, 2022 is all the twos in it. And those were sort of formed a, a stark uh, difference for me, contrast for what we've been used to in 20 and 21, which were not years of together. They will not be remembered in history of years of togetherness. They will rather be remembered as years of isolation, years of singularity, of being alone, of being separated, of being socially distant. But I believe God is calling us together again. And, and it just struck me that the three twos in 2022... And um, so together in 22, and I want to talk a little bit about that and what it means to be together as the church and how God is calling us together. Um, these last two years have been so difficult in terms of just, you know, togetherness has become something that we're actually afraid of. We were told not to be together. I mean, there were times where we were under hard lockdown lockdown. And the only people you could be with was the people in your household that you lived with. Um, and so we had no togetherness as a society. And even when we were allowed in smaller groups to start coming together where it was necessary, um, we were told to be socially distant, to be almost afraid of one another, to be suspicious of each other. And and so we've grown into the space of togetherness is something that we, we're not quite comfortable with. I mean, even coming together, greeting somebody has become something quite difficult to do nowadays. I don't know if you've experienced it, you know, but it's almost like there's some added stress nowadays when, you, when you're walking up to somebody to greet them because you, you're running through your mind, how do I greet this person? You know, is it, is it a fist bump? Is it just a wave? Is it the chicken wing? Or as, as I heard somebody call it, the Idris Elba that we put out, uh, you know, and, and you're trying to figure out how do I greet this person? And, and then those greetings from the past that we shouldn't be doing also comes up into your mind and, and you think, oh, perhaps I should shake their hand or oh, so I, 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 want, I want to hug this person. Um, and, and, you know, we all like freaked out when we have to greet one another. and it becomes this uncomfortable situation. But this is the time where I believe the Lord is saying to us of togetherness again. What does that mean? What is the Lord saying to us? And, and today I want to prophetically just proclaim certain things. But because it's me, I can't help myself. I'm going to have to teach a little bit. So perhaps you could call this a prophetic teaching about the church. And about what it means to be the church and, and what God is doing in the church for the last 2,000 years and what He's continuing to do right now as I believe the Lord is speaking to us. I want to take us to a scripture in Ephesians 2 verse 20 to 22. A lot of twos again. and That's why I like this scripture when I found it. I thought, okay, this just visually supports my idea of, of, of together, the twos. And um, I'm going to read this scripture from the King James Version, because as uh, Dr. Martin, uh, Martin Lloyd Wright says it, that, um, uh, that the, 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 the way the King James puts this word that Paul uses is probably the best way that it's tr- it used in a translation. So, yeah, I'm going to read it. I'm going to stumble over some of these words because it, it's not so easily flowing in our day and age, the King James, but let's read it together. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. In whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. In whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Hey, I didn't do too badly. Paul does something that he does a couple of times in the New Testament. When Paul wants to bring across a concept that is a a really heavenly concept, a kingdom concept that perhaps doesn't even have the appropriate language of his day to describe what he's talking about, he makes his own word. And and Paul did this a couple of times. And here in this verse, he uses a word that he only uses twice in his writings here and later on in Ephesians, in Ephesians 4, and we're going to read it later also. But he, he, he fashions this word by taking three concepts and putting them together to make up this word. And the word in the Greek is <laughs> listen to this sin armo Sin armo And he takes three words and he joins them together to, to put a word together. Now most often that word in the English translations are translated joined together. Uh, but uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones says it's it's that's not quite the concept, and so the King James does a similar thing. It uses a phrase that I don't know if we ever use it anywhere else. This phrase, but the phrase that that describes the word Paul is using is fitly framed together. Fitly framed together in verse twenty-one, in whom all the building fitly framed together. Groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. And what Paul is doing for us in in many of his writings, a lot of his time in Corinthians and Ephesians and Galatians and other places, he talks to us about what the church is and who the church is and what God is doing with the church. And here he talks to us about how God is building the church in this chapter, in chapter 2. And he's talking to a local church. He's not just talking nebulous to a bunch of Christians, just anybody. He's talking to this group of believers that is gathering together in Ephesus. And he's teaching them about the church and what the church is. And he's talking to them about how God builds his church. The way God builds his church. And we've got to remember that God builds his church. Jesus said it, didn't he? In Matthew 16 verse 18. Remember when he said to Peter, he said these words. And I tell you. That you are Peter on this rock, I will build my church. Who is the builder of the church? Jesus. Jesus builds his church. It's not our church, it's his church. And Jesus is building his church. Jesus has been building his church since he was on earth. He was laying the foundation, getting things ready for the church. And right throughout these last 2,000 plus years, he's been building his church. Today, Jesus is building his church. Right now, he's building his church all across the world and certainly in our midst. In our church, Jesus is building his church. And what Paul does in the scripture is he's telling us how Jesus is building his church. He's giving us insight into what Jesus is doing in building his church. And in this portion of scripture, these three Concepts that he brings together, this fitly framed together is a key concept that he uses to describe to us some of the dynamics of how Jesus is building his church. Because we've got to remember Jesus is building his church with a specific idea in mind. And one of the things that Jesus has in mind when he thinks of building his church is what he says in Matthew 6 verse 18. And I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. The gates of hell will not overcome the church. So Jesus is building a type of church that is a strong church, that is a powerful church, that is a church that will overcome the best that the enemy can throw at it. He's building a church for all time and for, 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 for with strength. Not a country club little church, not a, not a church that is a nice place where people just come together to feel better about life, but a church that will overcome. The best that the enemy can put up against it. This is the type of church Jesus is building. And I believe we've got to remember in our day right now that Jesus is building his church to overcome the gates of hell. In our day to overcome the best that the enemy is throwing against it. And if we want to understand what, how do we build that type of church, that strong church, we have to understand what this concept fitly framed Together means, and that's what I'm going to unpack a little bit today. So when Paul talks about the church here, and he's talking about building, he has a picture in his mind, and he he uses the same picture throughout a a couple of his epistles as he's talking about the church. When he talks about building together, he uses the the metaphor of a building, uh, 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 perhaps the idea of the temple, uh, this magnificent edifice that represents. The dwelling place of God. Now he's talking about the church. Which is not a temple. It's not a physical building. But it is a building in the spirit that God is building. But when he tries to explain to us what this building is like. He uses some examples from the material world. And he talks about how a builder would build the walls of a a building. But here we have to just pause for a moment. And remind ourselves that probably the picture that comes into our minds when we think of a building of a wall is not the same picture as Paul has. Because you and I live in that day and age of bricks. Our walls are made up of bricks that are uniform, same, you know, clay bricks that that all have the same dimensions, the same size, the same material, so that we can quickly build walls. We can mass produce walls. Everywhere you go, you see bricks that are being built into walls. And our houses, our buildings, our structures that we build are all built with these bricks that are uniform, similar in style, look, weight, density, everything. That's not what Paul had in mind. When Paul talks about a building, he's thinking about stones, not bricks. Stones were materials that were picked up. In the landscape, and then used by a mason to fit together to build a wall. So, right now on your screen, you'll see a picture of a stone wall, and you'll notice on that that picture how the stone wall there's no uniformity in in the sense of that that every stone that enters it is a different shape and a different size. It's uh, there's big ones, there's smaller ones, there's lighter ones, there's darker ones. There's because it's natural material that is picked up and fitted together by a mason. This is the picture that Paul has in mind. So when he talks about fitly framed together, we have to understand he's talking about that kind of picture of a stonemason building a wall. So he's, he's saying Jesus is like a stonemason busy building his church, fitting together these living stones. And we'll, we'll see that in the scripture. Not a bricklayer as we know it nowadays that just, you know, takes a brick, puts it, takes a brick, puts it. Doesn't have to pay attention to, does this brick fit? Does it, does it belong with the brick next to it? They just, they could, you know, have you seen them, how quickly they can build walls nowadays? I mean, so often you have two guys and one standing on the scaffolding and the other guy passing the bricks. And while he's passing the brick, he somehow puts the dagger, as we call it in South Africa, on it. And the guy at the top just puts them. And they're so skilled and they're good and they can build straight walls, but they can do it quickly. That's not what a mason is. A mason has, builds much slower, and I'll talk about that just now. That is the picture that Paul has in mind. So building, as Paul is talking about it, building the church, the way Jesus is building his church, is a careful, perhaps slow process. Much slower process than what we're used to in building, but a very careful process. A process of selection, of choosing, of fitting. Of making something work together that seems to not necessarily want to fit together. But a, a, a mason is an artisan that has over years developed the skill to be able to fit things together. That's the picture that Paul has in mind. So... That's why in 1 Corinthians 3, for instance, he gives us one of these great portions of scriptures that is really important for any church builder, for any person that is a church planter, any per, any leader of churches, whether you're a full-time uh, pastor, leader of a church, or an elder or a part-time leader in any form of church, there's such an important portion of scripture in 1 Corinthians 3, where he brings this idea across to us of how Jesus is building his church and how we should work with him in building the church. You know, when you build with The master builder, the master builder sets the pace. The master builder sets the rhythm of how we build this church. The the way we do this, how the, the building is being built. And we work with Jesus and he's the master builder and he builds in a certain way. Because he's building a church that will overcome the gates of hell, he does it in a very careful way. And Paul reflects that for us in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11 to 13, I want to read. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, stone, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to the light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. Every building that is built will be tested and will be challenged to see if it is strong enough. I wonder if Paul had in mind an event when he, when he wrote this that happened in a, a couple of years before he wrote this, probably a couple of decades before he wrote this to the Corinthians. There's a story that happened in AD 27. A guy by the name of Attilius was a wealthy entrepreneur in the day, and he wanted to do something impressive. So he planned to build a big uh, amphitheater, you know, for the Romans where they had the gladiators perform and the shows that they had in those days, like the Colosseum and, and, uh, in Rome. And the, uh, he, he wanted to build a big auditorium. So, uh, so what he did is uh, in a, a place by the name of uh, Ferdinand, Fiden- which is just outside of Rome. He gathered together the funds, he was a wealthy man, and he started to plan to build this amphitheater. The thing was though, that he wanted to build it quickly, because he wanted to impress people. He wanted to be somebody that is is revered and honored for how great edifice he could build so very quickly. He wanted to experience the glory of that. So when he When he spoke to the workers, some sources say that he told them to use lesser material, probably more wood than stone, cheaper material. So that when they built this amphitheater, it could be cost saving, but it also could happen quickly. And also they didn't pay enough attention to the foundation. They didn't stabilize the foundation well enough. So he built this magnificent place that could house 50,000 people, this amphitheater. But on a particular day, as people gathered to watch the gladiators and they packed that that amphitheater, the seating collapsed. And history records that 20,000 people lost their lives that day and many were seriously injured. I wonder if that's the picture Paul had in mind. You see, so often our ambition outstrips reason when it comes to building. We can be very ambitious in our building. And when we're ambitious, we want to build like Herod the Great that wanted to be known. The the word great in Herod the Great is because of the great buildings he built. It's a way for often for us as people to build so that our legacy can be established, so that people can remember us, so that we can show how great we are. Cultures build big buildings to impress their superiority on others. And so often ambition outstrips reason. And so Paul here comes to us and he says, Listen, if you want to build with Jesus, the master builder, you've got to know he builds carefully and he builds expensively. He's not a cheap builder. He's not going to cut corners. He's not a tilius. He's not into this for the quick success. He's not into this for the, for the glory. He's doing something that will outlast. In fact, he's building a building. He's building a church that." The greatest powers that come against it will be overcome by it. He's building for the long run and he's building for strength. So you got to know he chooses the best materials to build with and he takes his time. And I want us to remember that. I want us to, to capture that in our spirits here today. I want us to, to grab hold of that in our spirits that when we that when we are the church of the Lord Jesus and when we are about the business of the Lord Jesus of building his church that we remember that always that we allow him to set the agenda to set the pace that he's doing a good work and he's building something that will last and something that will be stronger than anything else that's what Paul is telling us so let's not cut corners so now I've set us up and I want to talk about these three words quickly. Fitly framed together. I'm going to take each of these words and just describe something. of What I believe, and, and as I've read the commentators, what Paul is saying to us in constructing this word. Isn't it fantastic that he's talking about how God builds and he builds his own word to describe how God builds. It's so like, you know, just beautiful. What is he saying to us? Fitly framed together. The three concepts that he puts together in one word. Fitly framed together. Let's talk about the word fitly. I mean, it's not a word we're comfortable with in using in this context. But what is he saying? In, in 1 Peter 2 verse 5, ach, verse 4 to 5, we see Peter join in and also color in this picture of what it means to be fitly framed together. And and we read the following. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourself, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. First thing we've got to remember is that the cornerstone of our building the church is Jesus Christ. He is the first living stone that is put in place. That he's the reference point for the rest of the building. The shape he has will determine the shape of the rest of the building. If if the first stone that you build with is square, you're not going to use round stones to build with further. You're going to use square stones. If the first stone is round, you use round stones for the rest. He is the pace setter. He is the one that we build on. But we've got to remember that he was rejected. He was discarded. By the world. The world wouldn't choose Jesus to build with. I don't care how many people in the world today say Jesus is a wonderful teacher and he's a great man. They would not have chose. They, they don't chose Jesus or choose Jesus to build with. Because Jesus claimed to be God. He's rejected by the world. But the scripture here says us, But he is chosen and precious. Remember what Paul Peter Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3. When you build your building work will be tested whether it was with gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, stubble. Precious stone. Jesus was a precious stone, chosen, and He was selected, like a, a mason selects a stone. Jesus was selected to be in this wall, and that's where the concept of fitly comes together. You see, have this picture in your mind. Here's a, a stone mason sitting. Busy building a wall or standing in front of a wall. By his feet, he's got a pile of stones. And so he reaches down and he, and he selects a stone that he thinks is the right stone to fit into the next space. And he picks up that stone and he, and he, and he starts moving it around in his hands and he, and he fits, he chooses, he selects it because he thinks it's the right stone to go in here. You see, a bricklayer doesn't have to do that. A bricklayer just takes the next brick. And as long as it's it's structurally integral, he doesn't have to worry if it's going to fit because it's a brick. There's thousands of them. They're all the same. No, Jesus doesn't build like that. He takes every stone. He looks at it. He selects it. He chooses it. He fits it. It fits into the space. If he puts the, the, the stone in and it doesn't fit, he will put it down, perhaps to use later, and he will select another one. He fits together. This is the the wall. This is the church that Jesus is building. He's building with unique stones. You and I are these living stones, Peter tells us. You yourselves are like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. You and I, we are these stones at the feet of Jesus that he selects because of our individual unique shape, each of us. And he puts us where he thinks we will serve best and fit best. He fits us in the right place. He knows the wall that he's building and he fits us according to our unique characteristics. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 4 to 6 also. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit in the source is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways. But it is the same God who does the same work in all of us. Can you see this? He takes this variety, this difference, and he builds with it. He takes his time. That takes time. God is not into mass production. Quick mass production. You know, we live in a day and age of mass production. Even the food we ate is mass production. There's very little attentiveness, individual care given in our day and age anymore. Two things. Everything is done to be the same, to be a carbon copy, to be a reproduction of the other, so that it can be done quickly in these factories that are that are, you know, Henry Ford's greatest invention was the, the assembly line. This these assembly lines that just produces the same. That's not what Jesus does. He's not into the 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 church that is this carbon copy, this everybody's the same. There's no individuality. Every, you know, everybody behaves the same, talks the same, looks the same, acts the same. That's not what Jesus does. Jesus selects for individuality, for uniqueness. He builds with uniqueness. Because you know, a, a, a church that will overcome the gates of hell cannot be a carbon copy mass produced church. It needs to be this church that is built by Jesus carefully. Choosing, selecting every stone in its right place. That's the only type of church that will be strong enough. That will stand for the ages. That will stand the test of time. And it will be strong enough. It's fantastic when you go into Europe and places. That, and, you, and and like, like I know where Lincoln, where Stuart Bell and them are. There's still a functioning bridge, a Roman bridge that was built with stones you know, before Christ. I think it was before Christ or around the time of Christ. These carefully selected built walls. That's what Jesus is doing. He's choosing you for the right place that he has for you. The church is not a clone army. A little bit of a Star Wars reference there. We're not a clone army. We're a people. We're a living stones. Breathed on by the Spirit. The Spirit of God. Equipping us, gifting us, enabling us, each of us differently, but for the same good that God has in mind. And that's what the Master Builder does. So so when we build our churches, we build carefully, we build individually. We, We can't see people just as a crowd, we've got to see the individual. It's fantastic. It's wonderful. I celebrate when, when we see a church just mushroom out of the ground and, and sort of just you know, pop up and, and f- go from n- n- five people to a hundred people to a thousand people in, in no time. And it's fantastic when you see that. That's great. We, we, we can do with bigger churches, faster growing churches. So that's not the problem. But we've got to understand that ultimately we need churches that will stand, that will be strong. And we can't be so enamored by the quick, the mass produced, the the sameness, the reproduction of the same. That we miss the careful work that Jesus is doing in building his church. I love the title of Alan Crider's book, The Patient Ferment of the Early Church. The improbable rise of Christianity in the Roman Empire. You see, Jesus is building an improbable church. A church that faces the... The, the the onslaughts of the enemy, but can stand against it and can rise up and succeed despite all the best the enemy throws at it because God is building a church that is strong. That The secular empires that are around us right now is trying to crush the church and say the church is irrelevant. The, the church has no business anymore. I mean, we're talking in our culture even about living in a post-Christian society. I laugh whenever they hear that because God is busy building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail again. And you and I, we are living stones being built into that strong church that is overcoming and will overcome because the master is builder, is building it for strength. But the strength comes from his attentiveness, his involvement. Each of us uniquely being not a carbon copy of the next, not being same as, but being inspired by the spirit, led by the spirit empowered by the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit that flows through us in unique ways, each of us. Offering our gifting into this living church. You are a unique person. God is choosing you, selecting you for your place. I love the fact that we learned it from Pastor Ed's days, that in our churches when people say they want to become a member of our church, we always say to them, pray about it. If that's what God has for you, then join us. But don't just join us because it's the closest church or because you you think it's hip and happening or or whatever. Pray about it. Because God needs to build you into his church. Fitly framed together. He needs to fit you in the right place by selecting, choosing you, building you. So that's the word fitly. Let me move on. Framed. In Ephesians 4 verse 16. Let's read this. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Here, This is the second occasion where Paul uses that word that he made up. At the translation here in the NIV says this, that the whole body joined and held together. It, this is how it translates That fitly framed together. Framed. You see, by fitly I'm trying to say that God is building a strong church. Framed, God is building a mature church. He's maturing His church. Because just as the gates of hell will not be overcome by a weak church, it needs a strong church. It will not be overcome by an immature church. It needs a mature church. God is maturing His bride. You see, the... In the fitly part, we spoke about the uniqueness. The other side of the coin is that, yes, while we are all unique, we are built into the same thing. Even 1 Corinthians 12 that I was reading, there's different gift for the same purpose. So this is the wonderful thing that Jesus does when he builds his church. He takes unique stones, every one unique. He fits them into the wall, but he's not building a million walls. He's building one building. He's building one church. He has a plan in mind. He cannot use loose stones lying around. Just wanting to do their own thing. So enamored with their uniqueness. So excited about their uniqueness. And and just wanting to be unique. And so afraid that they're going to lose their uniqueness. That they don't want to be part of this one thing that he's doing. Jesus is building one church. His church. And you have to... Be prepared to surrender your uniqueness into his hands and trust him that where he knows where your uniqueness needs to come and find its place and be fitted into the frame of what he has. Think of a friend. You know, when we have a picture, we frame it so that we know what's inside of the frame. That's the picture. We don't have things floating around the frame outside. They're not part of the picture. If you want something that's part of the picture, we put it in a frame. And so Jesus says, this is my church. The church is defined. It has its boundaries. There are those outside of the church, but there are those inside. This is the church that he's building. And he wants you to be part of it. But to be part of it means that you have to surrender to his plan, to his master strategy. He needs my uniqueness, but I need to give my uniqueness to him. He is the head. And this is what maturing does. Maturing is that process of becoming the best person that you are, but being able to let go of that at the same time and surrendering that to Jesus. Not holding on to it, not cherishing your uniqueness, not idolizing your uniqueness, but surrendering it, giving it, saying, Lord Jesus, shape me to fit into this wall, into the picture that you have in mind. You see what the Mason so often does is he selects the stone because he thinks it's the right stone for this space. And then he fits it and he puts it in. And then there's a corner that's a bit out. So he takes his chisel and he starts hammering away at that that brick. And haven't we all experienced the Lord Jesus doing that? That's what discipleship is. Discipleship is when Jesus takes us and he shapes us. He fits us into the frame that he has that we belong in. The big idea. The church that he's building, and it he helps us find our specific place. It's not up to us to decide; he decides, and he fits us into the frame, framed, joined together, the whole body. Each of us. One Corinthians twelve verse seven says, "Now to each one of, to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good." Can you see this tension between the individual and the common, the community? And the person. It's this beautiful thing that God does in his building. You see, it's only that mature church that can overcome the gates of hell. If it's a church that is just a bunch of individuals thrown together, a bunch of loose lying rocks that, that are all so excited about their individuality that, that they can't be joined together, it will never overcome the gates of hell. It will never stand against the gates of hell. I want to tell you, you can't mature outside of the church. You mature inside of the church. I know many people get frustrated with the church. And I'm talking about the church in its biggest concept and also even the local church. People get frustrated with churches, man. We get hurt in churches. We get disappointed, and sometimes we we want to stay outside of it, and we want to say, "Look, uh, I, I I've got something precious, and the church is not appreciating it. They're not noticing it, or they're not treating it right." So, so I'm gonna I'm gonna hold myself separate, and I'm gonna be a loose stone that's gonna lie here, and, and and until you know my gift is perfectly formed and strong enough, and and then and and when the church is ready and good enough, then then I can be built in. But I, I want to tell you, unfortunately, it doesn't work like that. To mature, you have to. Be there. You have to be. Allow the the master builder to chisel away with you. You know, remember the scripture says, "Iron sharpens iron." He he. We bump against each other, and that's where the shaping happens. And we people, we make mistakes. The church is not built. The miracle of the church is God building a perfect church with imperfect materials. But He can do that. But I have to surrender to Him. You mature inside the church. You grow inside the church. If you don't allow the Lord to grow you inside the church and develop a love for the church, and not just the church, but also your local church, you you will become critical and you'll become negative. And and you'll, you'll, you'll find fault. But because we love the Lord Jesus, we love his bride, we love what he's building, and we believe in what he's building, even when it is not going so well, even when it's failing, we don't give up on what he's framing, on his picture, on his blueprint, on his architectural drawings. He knows what he's doing. We are being framed in his picture, put, joined together. Man, we've got to love the church. Love our own local churches. Love, I love Hatfield, both churches, Hatfield East, Hatfield South. I love our churches. I've, I've spent my whole life... More than forty years in in these churches. I love these churches. It's one of the things I'm the most grateful for. Is that I've never been in another church. Really, this is my church. I've been able to be grafted in, built in through time. And so many of you have been here longer. Many of the South people, you've been there right from the beginning. Some of you are are newer, but you're being built in because you've got to love your local church. But you but you also got to love the church. I'm so thankful to be in a city where there's such great unity movements happening and where our churches are coming together and we celebrate each other across different streams and groupings. We we learn, I've learned so much from other ministers from other churches and other churches and, and, and have been challenged by them in, in real relationships because we love the church. Not just that which is like us, but even that which is different than us. We are being fitted in this frame of Jesus. And one day we will see the complete picture framed. The last one, I'm coming to an end quickly, is together. 1 Corinthians 11, Paul turns around and, and takes a bit of a negative view. And he says, listen, just because you're in the same room doesn't mean you're together. To be together, fitly framed together. That together is not just being in proximity probably a a better word to use there is the word unity is to be united in 1 corinthians 11 verse 17 paul writes to the corinthians and don't you love the fact that the epistles are written to real churches the new testament epistles weren't written to this this innocuous just you know abstract church the church it was written to real churches On the ground churches, the church in Corinth, real people struggling with really things. And the Corinthians were really doing well in in many areas. And in some areas, they were really shockingly horrible. Ephesians, Galatians, Colossae, the seven letters to the churches in Revelations. These are real churches on the ground. Not, Not just abstract ideas, but real. Paul's writing to these real Christians in Corinth and he says this. In the following directors, I have no praise for you. He doesn't mention his word. He says, I have nothing good to say about you. For your meetings do more harm than good. Whoa, whoa. Man, that's an indictment. He says, when you come together for worship to have church, it does more harm than good. Wow, that's a terrible state of affairs to be in. Why? He says this. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. He says, You're doing more harm than good in your togetherness because you are divided. Each one is so concerned about himself. And he talks about how they're having communion, for instance. Each one just looking after himself, not making sure that everybody has food to share. He says, You're so concerned about yourself. There's no unity, there's no togetherness. You're in the same room, but you're not together. And I want to tell you, the church of the Lord Jesus, that God is saying to us, it's a time to come together. But he's not just saying come together in the same rooms and venues. Over the last two years, when we weren't able to come together, I think God has been doing a work in us to purify even our sense of togetherness. I think it's been God's working that he's kept us a little bit separate from one another, or allowed this to happen. So that there can be a coming together, which is not just being in the same room, but is about being united. Across our diversities. And this goes back to the fitly framed together. It's this one concept of these individual stones that are being selected, joined into the frame of the bigger picture that God has, and the togetherness comes. So, as I said earlier, a, a unite, a, 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 the, the church that will overcome the gates of hell will be a strong church. The church that will overcome the gates of hell will be a mature church. And the church that will overcome The gates of hell will be a united church, not a church divided, not a church separated on the basis of whatever social or human dynamics. The kingdom of God is a a kingdom that comes, brings us together. The church is not a white church or a black church or a brown church. The church is not for the wealthy or for the poor. The church is not for the educated or the uneducated. The church is the place where God joins us all together and he builds us into as living stones into this building that will ultimately give glory to God. And that will overcome the gates of hell. This is how we overcome. When we think of the gates of hell, I can't help but think of the black gate in Lord of the Rings, the the gates of Mordor. Behind the gates of Mordor, Sauron was building his armies. That would spread throughout the land and bring destruction and death across Middle-earth. But just like Jericho's walls, no matter how strong the enemy builds his gates, how glorious he erects these edifices to show his power and his strength to threaten everybody, Jesus says, and the gates of hell, the black gates of hell, that Jericho's walls will not stand Against the church that I am building. A strong church. A mature church. A united church. So let's unite. Let's be together. A divided church won't do. We have to mature. And maturity leads to unity. You cannot have unity. You can have uniformity without maturity. But maturity is required for unity. And Jesus is maturing us. Let's be a church united. I'm going to end with Ephesians 4, verse 11 to 13, this well-known portion of Scripture. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service. Again, the individuality, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Christ has a full idea. He has framed a full idea of what the church is and how to glorify God. He's taking us as individuals and he's building us as living stones into this building which is the church. And we are coming together in our maturing and growing up. So that we can go into our front lines even when we are the scattered church on our front lines, engaging with our culture, engaging with the world around us, being the salt and the light. We are united even when we are separated. Even when we are scattered, we are united. In our gatherings, we are united. May it never be said of us that our gatherings more do more harm than good. May our gatherings glorify God and may our scattering take the kingdom into the world. But because we're a strong church because we're a maturing church and and a mature church and because we're a united church, the gates of hell will fall. And the gates of hell in our city will fall. Every thought that has been set up against God, every principality and power will fall because of the church. I believe God is building His church right now. This is a time for us to be together in 22. To gather together. Not just in locations, but in our spirits and in our, in our vision. To be together, to be united requires mission and submission. It requires a sense of, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for something. I'm on a mission. And we always say we're a community on a mission. I'm on a mission. I'm doing something. I'm going somewhere. I'm building something. And because I believe in something, I have a mission. I therefore practice submission. I give my life for that, which is what God has Called us for. That's what unity does. It's mission and submission together. So I want to pray as we end. I want to pray for you at the beginning of this year. I want to pray that there would be a stirring of the Spirit in your heart, that God will direct you and will bring you into that space where you need to be as an individual, where God says, Let me build you in as a living stone into my purposes and plans that is revealed through the church that I'm building. You need to know and you need to hear what the Spirit is saying to you. But I want to encourage you, be built in. This is the year of Together in 22. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name for the stirring and the working of your Spirit. I pray right now that your Spirit that is with each of us individually will stir us, will speak to us, will orientate us according to your will and purposes, that we we will turn our faces towards you, that we will hear what you are saying, that we will see what you are showing us, Lord, and that we will move forward with you in the direction that you have for us, that we will step out into the more that you have for us, Lord. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. I thank you for every living stone that has joined me on this, uh, this service today. And I pray that they will find their place to be built in, that they will be fitly framed together. In 22. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you. It's so great to be with you. Next week I'm going to see you and to talk to you more about what God has in store for us for this year. I think God has more than we could even imagine that He wants to do in our midst. So join me next week again. Bless you. Bye.